We're back. Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. I am your co-host, Mike One. Co-host also, Mike, in a moment, and another Oscar race checkpoint, because we have honest-to-goodness, real-life, in-person, big film festivals to talk about, Michael. Spike Lee is in that dapper pink suit with the <laughs> limited Air Jordans in the French mm-hmm. Riviera right now, getting the, the tribute uh, that is worthy to him, uh, Jodie Foster. Is is getting uh, special awards there, and yeah, they're they're premiering movies again to a live audience, and we're getting so many uh, reactions, Mike, uh, from friends of the show, from from film Twitter at large. It's just been fun checking in every couple of hours, and we'll we'll cover that right off the bat today with the Cannes Film Festival. We are talking about the Cannes, or as I lovingly call it, the Cannes Film Festival. Mm. Uh, taking. <laughs> The disappointment, the, the monosyllabic disappointment. The same joke, five years running. There it is again. Uh, that is one of the topics today we will check in on during this pit stop along the awards season road here, Mike. So let's start off talking about Cannes here with some news. Yes, they did kick off the 74th International Cannes Film Festival last night as you are listening to this. Uh, no, that's last night. Last night, for real, right? Mm-hmm. Because you said something about listening to this later, and it fucked me up, and now I got to restart the whole goddamn. No, hang on. <laughs> Canaz did kick off their seventy fourth international film festival last night, and after an <laughs> opening ceremony celebrating, like you already said, Spike Lee and Jodie Foster, they did screen their opening night film, Annette, starring Adam Driver and Marianne Cotillard, which we have previewed a few times here. Yeah, Adam Driver is now going down. In history. <laughs> really playing in the muff down there. Yeah. Because the Cunnilingus Commando. <laughs> my God, man. That was the tweet storm last night when we were following this. Like, uh, you know, uh, early evening when everybody was, you know, starting to tweet out their reviews where the first impressions were this man will be the first to sing an original song uh, in, in the midst of simulating oral sex in a net. <laughs> The cunnilingus crooner himself, Adam Drop. There's such a fascination amongst film Twitter when a story having to do with oral sex pops up. Like, remember the Batman thing? That was a big a couple, deal, too. Yeah. Like, what ha- what happens? Not we have better things Batman. to do, don't we? <laughs> Come on. What are we doing? That's a, that's a fun show. Have you watched any of that, the Harley Quinn show on HBO? No, I have not. I have not. And I, I've seen, like, clips of it, but I never said But, yeah, it is a good show. But I just, the story, yeah, Adam Driver's just singing while down under. That was a good way to put that by you. Not once, but uh, <laughs> twice, according to Scott Feinberg. And, and that was the cool thing, Mike. A lot of our, uh, you know, friends of the show are, are weighing in, so we get mm-hmm. to follow them and retweet them and, and check in every every 30 minutes, 40 minutes to, to what they're posting uh, during the open opening ceremony etc but uh yeah annette was confirmed two hours and 19 minutes long overall the reception on rotten tomatoes is is kind of i don't know 15 out of 17 fresh reviews 88 percent mike 71 early meta score but from everybody's tweets and everything it's like this is mixed this is polarizing i don't necessarily know if the numbers are shaking out that way yet i'm guessing they'll eventually do so there was one tweet I saw uh, that said it seems like Annette is 
pretty much liked with a couple loud detractors. I haven't seen many detractions myself, but like you, I mean, if everyone's saying it, there's got to be some kind of undercurrent of truth to it. From Scott Feinberg, he tweeted, uh, Annette might be a little too wacky for the Academy, but he also says in his report on The Hollywood Reporter, uh, Adam Driver and several Sparks original songs could potentially contend at the Oscars this year. And that would be cool. Like, we're getting this movie in August, right? August 6th, I believe, mm. or August 20th on Prime, August 6th in theaters, and we'll be able to review it soon enough for you guys. But it's 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 a movie that you were very intrigued by, yeah. knowing Leo Carre, or however you say his name, Leos Carax, is... Uh, <laughs> Is smoking a cigarette during the five-minute standing O. Five-minute standing ovation from Scott Feinberg. I'm so happy that timed. Like, nobody, I don't think, I don't think I've ever heard, I've had three thoughts flood my head at once here. Mm -hmm. I've never heard anyone comment on the standing ovation clock and records other than us in this space. Uh, But I can't get enough of it. I miss those so much. I didn't realize how badly I missed those last year until Scott tweeted that. And I felt my soul be like, oh, finally, we're back. If we were there, mm. when we are there... I would have stood up during the oral sex song. Yes, you're right. You're if we horror. really hate a movie, would you try and stop? Like, would you be the one saying, no? Would you be the one voice like, nope, <laughs> not gonna, I'm not clapping. Boo! <laughs> Boo this man. Like, you do the Peter Griffin right. voice that you you are heard no matter where you go mm-hmm. with that voice Yeah, in the background. Well, my opinion's the right opinion. I need to make sure everyone knows that is all. And and if the God forbid the ovation was not enough, you would be <laughs> Orson Welles and Citizen Kane trying to keep it going. Yeah. And you then you would be the loud heckler saying, "No, every no, don't you sit back down." Right. Like the freaking Bo Burnham second to last song it kind of thing. It was a five minute standing ovation, except for one guy who was standing for twelve and a half minutes and physically <laughs> assaulted his people near him. Yeah. That's how the report would be. They read. have to drag you out because you won't stop clapping <laughs> at a Cannes Film Festival. When we finally fit into a tuxedo again and get out there, you'll get tossed. Because that's what's been holding us back all this time. That's right. That's right. Um, some IndieWire coverage, again, has been great. Uh, Cannes Film Festival, as they put it, has been their Super Bowl. And I can't wait to hear the next IndieWire screen talk because mm. Eric Cohn, who traditionally loves his indie films who loves his art films who loves his international films so this is like the perfect Mm -hmm. (laughs) perfect movie for him you know he said quote adam driver is a deranged force of nature (laughs) quote uh carax's enigmatic storytelling will will take your breath away and he seems to be much more overly positive right with uh this big cinematic opera whereas now ann thompson his co-host on screen talk she is like annette is no crowd pleaser most people (laughs) love it or hate it i'm sure she's sitting next to eric and they're having semantic arguments about the uh what they're going to say in the podcast now so i can't wait to hear that episode but it's uh, you know they're in itself is the you know the polarizing reviews as two men who make a living doing the contentious <laughs> podcast shtick multiple times a week yes I oh i'm definitely eric Cohn. you're definitely ann in this <laughs> yeah I don't know, that's the first time that's we've... probably accurate yeah not mm-hmm. in so much in terms of intelligence or tact or literally anything else other than she happens to be down on this one property yeah <laughs> that's right uh but brian formos there too mike from fandango his uh letterbox review reads quote some personal misgivings and some undeniable third act messiness aside and that is completely unlike anything you've ever seen i 
will buy that for a dollar. Uh, Carex always <laughs> takes the biggest swing, and he has a few massive hits here, even if he swings at every ball. I really like that uh, that review. Regardless, that's of, a cool review. Yeah. So if we're gonna get an overlong movie, mm-hmm. something that sweeps us away for for stretches and scenes, and, and hey that man, goes like for that's I, I we were you and I were talking earlier today, like. Just keep me hooked. I don't care how ridiculous it gets, but if I get bored during your two-hour movie, man, it's a death sentence for me, for my watching. Yeah, truth. Uh, I think uh, that's been the watch-at-home yeah. plague, right? I mean, if, for any movie. And uh, it's it's much less the case, I would say, in a theater when you're yep. where, where it's the forced immersion. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but that's where your Peter Griffin voice comes in <laughs> yes. as well. Uh, anyway, uh, we got... Some first reactions today for Ahed's knee. Uh, this is Nadav Lapid. That it, it's apparently a very intense story. This is the director of the kindergarten teacher mm-hmm. and uh, and synonyms. So I was kind of looking at that. Maybe it's an inter- best international film contender. I don't know. It seems like the 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 first impressions are a bit polarized. At least at, at first blush, we'll see. But Michael Val was uh, an immediate darling of the festival. This, of course, the documentary about Val Kilmer. Yeah, it got a great first screening reception, and my God, why wouldn't it? When you look at the trailer, strong early reviews. Scott Feinberg called it quote very powerful and moving. Jason Gorber said it was quote blockbuster documentary. Alex Billington said it was a full of love film. Obviously, and we could talk about the trailer that was released. Go right into this, but when you see just this trailer, my heart was in my throat watching this. I did not realize that Mr. Kilmer was as badly wounded as he was until we started previewing this doc and now seeing it. I mean, it's as heartbreaking as anything else. Yeah. Quit smoking everybody, please. Uh, uh, no kidding. Yeah. He's got throat cancer. He can't speak anymore other with, other than with a device. So his son Mm. who does speak like him and it it does, you know, put you through Mm -hmm. a loop. If you've grown up on Val Kilmer movies, like we have, uh, you you hear him in his son's voice, but the movie and the trailer are narrated by his son. This is eight twenty four. This is going to Amazon Prime Val for July twenty third or twenty third in theaters, August sixth on Prime. There, so I thought that this was really cool and a project certainly worth compiling. When you you think about the fact that he was addicted to home videos, Val mm. Kilmer, his whole career, and you you have you have footage from him on every movie set, from him with all his big Hollywood friends, from him, you know, in, in, at every stage of his career. So it's not just this puff piece. This is going to be Val Kimmer acknowledging how much trouble he was on certain sets that we've covered, mm-hmm. film sets from hell, like the island of Dr. <laughs> Moreau. <laughs> I mean, he's gonna, there's going to be a story about him and Marlon Brando in, the, in, in that movie with David Thewlis involved. So I, I can't wait to see this. This is going to be a, you know, a late July, early August for us. Yeah, if you take the era, the human interest and the empathy and the, the sickness part out of it, I'm everyone in this space is just suckers for behind-the-scenes Hollywood stuff anyway. So mm-hmm. I, that alone, I think you'd have a hit on your hands, and I like you and very curious to as i always am to see that type of stuff play out in real life and then you add uh, again uh, val's sickness and, and his condition into it and it's just it tears at your heartstrings so it works on a lot of levels i agree i can't wait to watch it either um i wonder if this is going to be like a new if this is the first tip of the iceberg in terms of like this new wave of documentaries that are coming because salil moon fry did kind of a similar thing with kid 90 on hulu which i i watched and it was a lot of behind the scenes on different sets with you see famous people as she's shooting this home video stuff and and it's it's cool and all but we're getting to this point where we have full-fledged celebrities who 
never grew up without their face being on camera because of YouTube and editing videos and making them. So I wonder if this is going to be more and more of a common type of niche documentary that become that kind of creates its own little subgenre in the space soon. Yeah, we'll have to ask Amanda if this one has a chance of being a, a hit with the kids on TikTok and <laughs> people circle back to Val Kilmer's career somehow. I guess if one of his dance moves got famous, mm, mm, we would have a chance or one of his songs. Didn't he have a pop song? Yeah. Oh, did know. he? I don't know. I feel like everybody who was famous in the late 80s, early 90s, like, that was the move. Right. But, I mean, we've been watching a ton of these documentaries, these career retrospective documentaries, these year-in-the-life-of-a-celebrity documentaries of late. It kind of started with the documentary boom of the last few years, Mm. uh, you know, Won't You Be My Neighbor, etc. And it's continuing all through this year. I've seen a bunch at the festivals already, a bunch that we reviewed uh, with The First Step, Roadrunner. We're going to talk about a couple at the end of this episode. I've also seen a couple more. Wolf Game, the guy who did the claymation called Clay Dream. Mike, they're coming in left and right. And uh, this one, getting the praise that it's getting and the profile it's getting, maybe this is one that actually has a chance because of its unique way that they're compiling the archival footage here and that because the footage is so exclusive, right. maybe this one actually has some Oscar legs if yeah. it's such a darling. You got to wonder. I, I mean, I would just think the way it, the, the story is going to tug at your heartstrings and Val Kimmer is a longtime veteran respected actor that it would have a chance of being nominated. But you, you do have to wonder about that whole the documentary branch hates archival footage you know, notions that's been thrown around the last couple of years, how that's going to play out if there is this kind of new genre coming out where people are going to be showing their own archival footage that is exclusive and isn't <laughs> well known and needs to be just, you know, library, librariatized. That's not a word, but you, you get the idea. Yeah. I wonder how that's going to play Librarian, out. Librarian, I right. believe, is sure. the technical term. <laughs> but what if, it, what if it's coming from Iceman? That's the thing, documentary <laughs> film branch. Like, where do your... Where do your where does your nostalgia end and begin? I don't know. Like if the Iceman is telling his life story, mm, mm. maybe you, maybe you throw uh, biases aside for once. Interesting. It's going to be. I, I, I'm 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 very curious to see how this type of doc plays with the Academy. They this gave year. it to an octopus last year. Yeah, like, right. They that's, gave it to an do, archival that's footage what they do. doc. But right. that's what they do. If they're going to do archival footage, it's going to be because there's an, a fucking octopus we fell in love with. Like, that's, we have no idea what this branch is thinking. <laughs> my mother couldn't stop talking to me about my octopus teacher, by the way. She loved it. So that, yeah, that one had some power. But, Michael, uh, to finish out the can stories here, we had the can market have a major sale that is just an eye-popping headline here. Gre- the Greenland sequel. Called Migration sells to STX for $75 million plus at the virtual market. First of all, what a country. Second of all, <laughs> I don't, I read about this deal. I don't really understand it because STX had the distribution rights for the first one. So they could have matched up to whatever they wanted. They had the right of first refusal, I guess, for any kind of sequel. So I don't think it's that big of a surprise. I think the only surprise is that the number is so high. Like, would you have paid $75 million to acquire the rights to a Greenland sequel? It's encouraging, though, right? It's encouraging in the fact that Greenland was kind of a movie that was a bright spot kind of during the pandemic. Everybody was talking about it last year. And then, um, yeah, STX, the fact that they have money to burn the is a great have, Yeah, that's, that's one of the things I picked up on, too, the fact that they can spend $75 million comfortably. And it's tough to see where how Greenland did box office-wise because uh, it, it opened in a pandemic. I, I 
yeah, this is cool for studios. It seems like it's going to be something that goes to theaters because STX doesn't have a streaming service. So, all right, we, we got more theater news coming up, too, in box office news and reason for, I guess, optimism. <laughs> We hope we're trying. We're, we're 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 stretching for it, but that's. I mean, look. We we said the industry's healthy because of the numbers flying around, and the can market is is definitely uh, an indicator mm-hmm. of that. And again, the industry's healthy because the money is there. The problem is the money is going more towards streaming and at home stuff than in movie theaters. But you're right. We're going to talk about some movie theater optimism. If I, I paid guess the- you seventy five million dollars, would you go see the Greenland sequel? <laughs> Neither of us have watched the Greenland originally. No, no, we have not. We probably should. I keep hearing it's fun. Stop and it! Don't play nice. No, it's on HBO Max. No, we haven't. You couldn't pay us to see it. We haven't watched it yet. Uh, anyway, we're we're trying we're trying to be nice. We like STX. Yes, though, that's we certainly sure. do. But Florian Zeller's uh, new stage play, The Son, which is uh, of course a follow up to his The Father. And this, the son, will be starring Hugh Jackman, Vanessa Kirby, and Laura Dern. Michael mm. just got picked up by Sony Pictures Classics this morning by or at the Cannes Film Market as well. So this is not going to be an Oscars twenty twenty one twenty two title, I don't think, unless they're really fast with production because it hasn't even shot yet. But yeah, Florian Zeller is selling things as well. And why not after the success of The Father? And that was kind of one of the gems of last year. Is something that picked up steam as the year went on parlayed itself into a, a couple Oscar uh, nominations. There are more than a couple, I should say. But yeah, Hugh Jackman, mm-hmm. Vanessa Kirby, Laura Dern. I mean, this is certainly screams something that would be Academy-friendly. If it's going to stay in that cinematic universe, that'll be interesting to see, too, if that has any ties to the the first one. I would imagine it would, but uh, we'll see how it plays out. But those are four big names that, especially lately, have great Oscars affiliation. So uh, you can't not be excited about that one, I think. And speaking of Florian Zeller stories, he was one of the 395 invitees to the new Academy, Mike. And uh, this is another big class. I don't think we're going to see a class this big Mm. for a while for reasons we've discussed here. But a lot of the nominees and a lot of the Oscar winners from last year are in this class. I got a list of names here that, that you can, you know, go look up yourselves. But up-and-comers as well, like Jonathan Majors and Aiza Gonzalez mm-hmm. and longtime stalwarts and Oscar snubs like Clark Peters and, of course, Downton Abbey's Hugh Donneville and, of course. Who, you know, what's a new Academy without Janet Jackson. So a lot of big names from Stephen Root to Nathan Lane to Craig Brewer and a lot of uh, new Academy members to be proud of, I would say. How the hell did it take Janet Jackson this long to be invited by the Academy? <laughs> That's know, that like, was literally that was my biggest takeaway. Like I'm gonna get into to more stats, and stuff, but like it's 2021. She's literally an Oscar nominee. She's an actress and a singer who's been featured on multiple movie soundtracks. What Were the they gonna give her uh, an invite? You know, and then Justin Timberlake, you know, had the wardrobe <laughs> oh, malfunction Jesus thing. Christ Almighty, it could be that. Actually, that that makes a lot of sense for that to be the case, and that's telling about a couple things, I think. But all right, let's. Concentrate more so on the class itself. Here's some stats and the way it breaks down. According to IndieWire, the new class is 46% women, 39% from underrepresented ethnic slash racial communities, and 53 international members from 49 countries outside of the U.S. We have 89 Oscar noms. We have 25 Mm -hmm. Oscar winners in this new class. Uh, And also, just as an aside, something I don't think we've concentrated on or really uh, talked about much here, 
There were eight invitees who received invitations from multiple academy branches, and it's up to the individual themselves as to what branch they want to enroll in, which also means that there's no double dipping in terms of anyone in the academy representing multiple branches, which I don't know if you knew that. I, I, I think that's something like I knew, but I was never confirmed, and now I have it confirmed for myself. Oh, cool. I didn't even think about it no. ever once in my life. But <laughs> there you go. now I... Now it makes sense. It's sensible. But I mean, the fact is, you know, to remind our fans out there, they, they vote on the nominees by branch, mm-hmm. right? And they vote the shortlists by branch. We went over the kind of the new rules and the expanded shortlists on the last ORC there. And then everybody votes for everything in terms of voting for the winner. Right. So it makes some sense that uh, the uh, the new members will, will make a choice in terms of which branch they're in. Obviously, they vote for their board of governors that way, too. And then... Yeah, they'll, they'll vote for everything at the at the end of the day, and they'll just recognize a short film about a California highway and, and pick that one. <laughs> as long as they're all on the same page. Again, I, I got to commend the Academy. The, the, you know, 46% of the new class is women. Should be closer to 50, but whatever. Uh, 39% from underrepresented ethnic and racial communities. These are every, every number the Academy has spit out has felt less like quota filling to me and more like what this all, what everything should feel like and just like, you know, diversity and equality. <laughs> Which, Equal- it's getting closer and closer to equality. Right. right. <laughs> Finally. Exactly. Thank God. And, uh, you know, they, they had to make it happen and mm-hmm. force it to happen, but we're, we're glad it is finally happening. Yeah. Mike, this story I didn't know if we were going to talk about, but you seem to have some pizzazz here written down uh we'll see where you land but gabrielle carteris yeah go ahead (laughs) gabrielle carteris i I believe her name is she is not seeking re-election at sag aftra as their president she had the huge election battle against matthew modine and you and i did not really get into this too much we Mm -hmm. covered it maybe in one episode but she is kind of stepping down and fran drescher is potentially going to succeed her at least run on her ticket i guess so uh she just announced that she will in fact run fran drescher of of course the nanny Mm -hmm. and um i believe one movie that uh i kind of (laughs) like no my family we were big fans of uh fran drescher you like the beautician and the beast is that the beautician and the beast thank you (laughs) um so yeah the reason i wrote so much for this and and, like followed up on it is because i remember for some reason vividly a couple years ago talking about this story in the one episode and i remember vividly talking about matthew modine running for sag after president from the membership first party on the platform of opposing cuts to health plans for those in the sag union and reforming pensions for retired actors and now Hmm. two or three years later we have matthew modine running for president of SAG-AFTRA from the Membership First Party on the platform of opposing cuts to health plans for those in SAG Union and reforming pensions for retired. It's the exact same platform. So time is a flat circle, I guess, is my point. And McConaughey was right in uh, True Detective Season 1. And Matthew Modine was in a documentary recently that I was pretty good in. Operation uh, Varsity Blues, by the way. Operation Varsity Blues? Yeah, n- none of what you said meant anything. To me. <laughs> so hold on. is He, he is for... <laughs> He is for uh, cuts for you know he's against cuts to health plans so that's good. Well, and he's yeah, it's 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 him 
the, the there's from what I could tell about the SAG AFTRA and the competing for the presidency seat between Modine and now Fran Drescher is that there's two main competing parties. There's membership first, who seem to be concentrated on a more what you would call a liberal leaning prism, better health care for all members, versus Fran Drescher and Gabriel Carteris, who are representing the Unite for Strength, which is the party uh, that that represents cuts to current health care plans in terms of for reasons of getting the actors more money at the end of the day, essentially. Hmm. patting their wallets more so and just like in the united states those are the, you know those are two competing ideologies and their members are going to go over who they want to win now this is all overly simplistic and i realize that but it's foolish to think and this is why i do think it's important we talk about the business and the politicking of hollywood once in a while at least these relationships and these votes and the intermingling of the ideals that go into these types of unions they really do run Hollywood to an extent. I mean, the, the behind the scenes dealing and politicking is how a lot of these things get done at the end of the day. And we end up commenting on them, whether we even are cognizant of that or not. So again, it's just for me. And I think for some people out there who do follow this stuff as religiously as we do, you got to keep yourself abreast of what's going on behind the scenes, even if it is something as relatively uh, enthusiastic as member voting for the SAG after union. We'll have to ask uh, SAG members down the line yeah. what they think of all this. Or never. Or never, ever. <laughs> Whichever comes first. Again. Yeah. And never cover this again, despite mm-hmm. your pizzazz well, uh, in tried. those takes. <laughs> Michael, we have a box office update from July, uh, the, the July 4th weekend there. And we got some optimism, I would say, because okay. overall, couple firsts in the pandemic era, first time since the pandemic started, the top 10 films all grossed over a million each. The I think one of the bigger grosses overall, where over the four days, all the films grossed over 101 million uh, total, and yeah, we got some movies that are propping it up, like F9 The Fast Saga, which uh, is four-day Almost 33 million. That's crossed 126 domestically, 500 million worldwide. Boss Baby Family Business did well despite also being on Peacock, Mike, which apparently is another streaming service that (laughs) I don't know if you've watched it yet. But anyway, four days, 23 million for Boss Baby Family Business. The Forever Purge did 16 million in a four day. And Zola did two and a half million uh, in a limited release. Uh, in its for, or, or in its total run up, I think like six or seven days that was. So you know the box office overall was very strong for July fourth, and hopefully the good times will keep on coming because Black Widow is coming out tonight. Uh, as you are hearing this, dear listener. And if you're not watching it for $30 or so and you plan on watching, that means you're going to go to a theater to watch it. And right now, the current projections for Black Widow's opening uh, is it's projected to run for between 80 and 110 million on its opening weekend at the box office. Fast 9 currently has the high watermark on the year, uh, about a $70 million opening domestically. So anything in that range for Black Widow of 80 to 110 would make it the biggest theatrical opening of 2021. And that range, 80 to 110, would be a huge win, I think, for theaters as well. I hope it's a sign of people returning to the theaters and it's not that this is what tentpole numbers are going to be. Because if this is a sign of improving strength and people coming back to movies for big blockbusters, then, okay, the 80 to $110 million domestic openings for the latest MCU installment of a standalone movie, that's something that you can build on. If it's this is as good as it gets. I think that's problematic, but I, I, I don't know how you feel about that number in that range, Michael. 
I am thrilled with that projection because that means that it's going to achieve as much along with the day and day right. at home. Uh, I mean, basically competing against itself because you can buy Black Widow for $30 at home. So how many people are going to buy it for $30 at home along with their Disney Plus you know, subscription there and how many people are going to go to the movies? And, and right now, I mean, I'll be honest, like the AMC tickets... They're low. Like you can get in for like eight bucks, nine bucks. It's really fairly cheap. Yeah, I mean, maybe I'm going. You know, I'm I'm going to matinee. I guess that's the matinee price that I'm remembering. But I did that for Fast Nine. I saw it like three o'clock on a Saturday mm. or whatever I did. And yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think uh, it it makes some financial sense. I mean, you can go and have a day out at the movies right now if you can safely do that. So that's so that's something that people are actually reckoning with. So the fact that they're going to make that much money by projections. We've seen these projections be spot on lately. So yeah. I think the guys are working overtime. They've finally got projections to project again, and they're doing a great job. Tom Bergerman, et cetera, <laughs> you know, IndieWire that we cover, they're doing an awesome job. Now, this is optimistic, um, and, and there's a lot of reasons to be happy, and there's also the fact that you, the European box office kind of did had a major rebound over the last two weeks, and that's in some markets without F9. Uh, but France, Britain, Germany, Spain, all COVID era highs the, for the year, you know last weekend's box office, and you know they are also speaking about it in terms of the fact that F9 is going to be followed up by Black Widow uh, in many ways. So this is what we talked about. Remember when Tenet and Mulan? We're apparently going to jockey for release date real estate, Mike, back during the pandemic a few times mm-hmm. because we were t- we were wondering if the box office could rebound with back-to-back theatrical titles. Well, now we finally seem to have that. And the overseas market is, is super important. I mean, that $75 million bid that STX had for the Greenland sequel... Fifty million of that is earmarked for, I think, the international plays because Greenland was number one in however many international markets. I think we're like over twenty international markets. So studios are very, very cognizant of that. And yeah, I would, you know, you have a Marvel movie, you want it to hit a billion dollars theatrically. Well, I didn't, I didn't know if I wanted to say this part yet, but Mm -hmm. I, we've been known to wet blankets some things. Yes. And all right, let's just be honest with the people because we did very cursory box office mojo scan as well with this segment and we looked at the 101 that was made fourth of july weekend mm-hmm. you know this past week and we looked at what it was in 2019 and let's be honest 2019 was marketably better it was 183 um so that is and then that's a three-day gross about, yeah about a 55 percent rake of what it's doing i mean we were in the 40s right now we're mm-hmm. above 50 that's that's something I'm Good, trying man. so hard. <laughs> no, it, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. And hopefully Black Widow keeps some momentum going. So if you guys want to save movie theaters, please, now's the time. Get your butts out there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we can move into a make the case or what we're watching type segment, Michael. Yeah. So I don't know how you want to handle this, but we all kind of watched a few movies apiece over the July weekend. I watched LFG about the women's soccer team and all their activism and all, you know, their fight for equal pay. It's a great documentary on HBO Max. I watched Sisters on Track, which is about a pair of sisters who are in seventh and eighth grade, Mike, running varsity times. And I know this because I'm a track coach. So I'm in awe of their talent, but I'm in awe of that uh, story. God bless Tyler Perry. That's on Netflix. Both, you know, recommendations. I also saw The Courier with Benedict Cumberbatch. He's really good. And Dream Horse, 
for Best Picture. You're, you're Start the campaign right you. now, Tony Collette. I've never been more offended in my life. This is where our <laughs> friendship ends. Is that movie seriously good? Or you, like, is it okay? And you're like, I'm going to make this great because it'll. I get joy out of needling my co-host. That's right. Okay, good. Yeah. Good. No. It, again, it was fun. It was a fun watch. I watched it. Uh, you and uh, with Tony family. Collette both have stabbed me in the back over this movie. I just want you both to know that. <laughs> but you also watched a handful of films over the over the weekend, so I'm eager to hear. what I was you think. very late to a quiet place too, but I finally got to that in theaters, and uh, I have questions. So are you down on the movie overall? Because your texts were kind of down. I got bored. I, I've gotten bored on a lot of movies, and that's going to be kind of a running theme of these. In the theater. Yeah, I did, I did. Well, I mean, and that's probably the, the, the upside of the theaters. that I Did somebody shush with. you, and you just wanted to talk out loud the whole time? <laughs> no, nobody shushed me. Uh, but <laughs> I, the last 40 minutes were really good. I didn't think, it, again, it's my expectation. It's my own fault. I went to see it way too late, and I had heard all the hype. I wonder, though, sincerely, how much of everyone's exuberance for that movie was driven by the fact that it was the first big time they went back to a theater. You know what I mean? So... You're a horror movie connoisseur, though. Did it deliver in that regard, or do you were more questions about the, I don't the even whole think world it's a building? Horror movie, to be honest with you, I think it's just like kind of action. A, a, yeah, maybe a, an action drama, maybe a drama thriller. I really don't think it's that scary of a movie at all, and it's fine. I mean, it, it's it's a good watch. You're, you're gonna be okay if you watch. It. I think I gave it like a B grade, a low B, like an eighty three, eighty four. So it's it's definitely passable. But I was just when I heard it lived up to the expect or the the feeling of the first movie. I remember vividly leaving the first movie that theater, thinking, "Wow, I had just seen something special." And this one, I felt like I had just seen a you know a second piece of a Netflix miniseries. I see. So if they turned it into a miniseries, uh, would Scoop McNary be the protagonist, and therefore? <laughs> The, you know, the star of his own Paramount Plus uh, Harborside what's uh, the, uh, Quiet Place. What's the name of the guy, the bad guy from Don't Breathe Too? What are all these great horror movie names that we're on a roll with lately? Norman That's right. Nordstrom. Heard Norman Nordstrom. <laughs> yeah, he's probably uh, he's probably got a comic book yeah. name himself. Yeah. <laughs> I watched Fear Street, the first installment in 1994. I, I tweeted about this and said as soon as I heard the Nine Inch Nails song, that was all I yeah. need. To, like, that's, you hear that in the first opening scene. This is... Should we have just listened to the you know Spotify playlist for that? Oh movie yeah, oh what the, the, the playlist blows the movie out of the water. <laughs> playlist because I don't great. even get like I watched it too. I didn't even I don't even get the why they play the song so fast. Like I want more. Like I want I this mini series to yeah. just be the song. I think they do that, and this is my interpretation. But I think they do that to kind of poke fun at the way those types of songs were used in the 90s shows and 90s slashes yeah. and stuff like that. Like, I think yeah. it's very deliberate that they play one right on top of the other like that. Well, you're pooping on my childhood, so there's that. <laughs> I mean, it's and a- she's born in 1980, too, the director, so I don't know what she's all high and mighty about. <laughs> no, I, I I thought it was fun. Like, I thought conceptually, I thought, yes. like, a uh, couple of the sequences they really nailed, mm-hmm. like, the last 20 minutes. Like, that's huge, yeah. Mike, in any movie series, especially when they're coming out one week after another, 78 this week, and then 1666. I can't believe we're going that far back. But, Mike, I want to watch the next movie, don't you? Yeah, and I'm definitely going to. I, I, I wonder if we're getting a little past the tipping point here with this whole, like, you know, oh, we're in on the joke, aren't you? As far yeah. as horror movies go. Like, relax. <laughs> You know, not everything needs to be. I feel like I'm I'm waiting for these characters to Deadpool me the whole time and just speak right to the camera and break the fourth wall. Like I, I get right. it. I, I just you know just concentrate on the scares. But no, I, I 
you started off positively, and that's generally my feeling about it. Like, I wasn't crazy about the movie itself. I was more excited about parts and pieces of it and concepts and ideas having to do with it. But, yeah, I'm definitely going to watch the second one. Maybe it's a watch-at-home blues for me, too, because, like, the first... I did get bored halfway through. Uh, after the first sequence, which I liked, yep. then there's, like, the whole middle of it. I, I could care less, yeah. and then I perked up the last half hour um something that did not bore me and was probably my favorite watch of the week and was something you were very high on yourself and your expectations i i that i wasn't disappointed <laughs> i don't have to Unbelievable. yell at you werewolves within josh rubin's movie uh that was available through ifc midnight on uh, on demand on vod there paid eight bucks it's a 90 minute watch it's a fun kind of whodunit slash horror mystery i don't think the twist is all that shocking it was kind of i thought it I don't know if it was obvious, but like mm-hmm. he did a good job of knocking down the pins around it and getting rid of the red herrings. Uh, it was fun. It was a. I prefer. I would watch that movie again before I watch A Quiet Place Three. I think. I'm thrilled. This is. I've uh, got a Cheshire Cat grin right now. I'm thrilled <laughs> that you like the the Sam Richardson film that I was, you know, just get happy over at the film festival at Tribeca there. And and uh, you're a big fan of the director, yes, of course. Scare absolutely. me. And now Werewolves Within. So yeah, that that was a cool movie, and I'm I'm glad that one hit you. I'm glad you didn't didn't have such high expectations that uh, I ruined the movie for. Hey, so let's talk good. about something I had low expectations for, and it still didn't meet them. <laughs> no sudden move from Steven Soderbergh could have been Dad Movie Paradise, Mike. I mean, just from the. Just from the trailer, just from the cast, yep. Benicio Turo, Del Toro, Don Cheadle, you get some cameos, you mm-hmm. get uh, some some uh, side characters. Brendan Fraser makes his return Who to cinema. Like I thought me he was now. very good. I mean, no hate, but Brendan Fraser and I are, are twins, basically, at this point. He's ready for his Darren Aronofsky <laughs> film, unfortunately. And, and again, you know, the guy's going through a lot. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm not, know. I'm not, no hater judgment on my end. I was just, I saw him and I'm like, you, he looks like me. <laughs> That's me he's, in a trench coat and top hat right now. He's uh, he's got largesse. He's got gravitas. <laughs> yes, exactly. As do as do uh, all three of us yes. right now. Michael, this movie to me was like endlessly disappointing at almost every turn, and I I could just hear all our listeners getting angry of, with us who who actually may have liked moments care. of this movie after F nine. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. The, I'm so, so that's the done thing. Like, looking forward to Soderbergh stuff. I'm done but with this. This is all about expectations, isn't it? Like we no, totally no, throw... it's not. It's absolutely not. Because I, mm-hmm. I, I struggled for two hours to hit play on this thing because I just knew I was gonna mm-hmm. not like it, and I was like, "Don't do that." You know, you're. I, I wanted to skip it, but I was like, "Just, just." My expectations couldn't have been lower, Mike. Like wow. I, I could have Soderbergh could have done anything here, and I would. But it's just. What? I didn't care about any of these characters. I like I kind of cared about Don Cheadle at the very end, but I didn't I got so bored like 40 minutes through and I just did not give a shit about what was going on. When you trip across the double cross. Yes. <laughs> after you set up an action movie sequence that doesn't happen or that just is disappointing again. Like like everything should have there should have been a whoopee cushion effect <sighs> after every sequence here. Like None of them paid off. Nothing did. Well, yeah, that's the problem. And you're right. You don't get to know any characters because they're all elusive. And did the gonna... twist at the end had? Was that a twist for twist's sake? Well, that's the thing, right? That's the thing. It's just like we just want to stay a step ahead of the audience that we're yeah, not going to honor just... what's come before. Look, it's not. 
I I have to fight Steven Soderbergh. I have to. I have to. Me and him have like there's too much tension between us right now that it, it can only end one way. And so it's upsetting because he does stuff we exactly, like. Exactly. Exactly. It's not just we, stuff we like. It's like Unsane yeah. is really good. Like really, really good and really above awesome. average. But and he innovates. He takes risks. But the four projects around Unsane right now are just not even like they're not even passable to me. Like I think well, I gave I think I gave No Sudden Move a D plus. Yeah, I'm not a I'm not a fan either. Uh, HBO Max uh, had the premiere solely on HBO Max. I don't think it's going to be Oscars eligible, regardless. At best, it'll be Emmy eligible, I believe, unless you know, unless it qualified somehow. And I don't know. Maybe maybe it did. Maybe it originally had plans. I'll take but, two uh, hours of Adam Driver singing while he's by a vagina, and then I will two hours of, of Soderbergh's next. I, I'm, I'm, I'm really, this comes from a place from frustration because I love Steven Soderbergh's work and I love film and I like, right, we're, we're all watching a bunch of stuff and it's this big return to movies and I, I just, I'm so fucking angry that he let me down again after what he did with the Oscars just now. I was going to talk about the cinematography, but I can't transition to what you said to fisheye lenses right now, can I? just leave it in whatever but that yeah no this movie was aggravating and i i was i don't know i mean again he's on a streak we, for you too with laura dern dressing as bjork in that last movie you saw of his. that's right i didn't like his last movie yeah. i didn't like the awkward ending of a photo of anthony hopkins it didn't work for me <laughs> three o'clock on the playground by the bleachers me and steven soderbergh <sighs> i i would love to bet on you my friend but I don't he just kicks that. my ass <laughs> <laughs> he shows up and just wipes He's been the waiting his whole life to kick a critic's ass. You're dead. It's the scene out of the naked gun where the jet, like the, it's like, I'm going to show this guy a lesson. Everyone just sees these big reaction shots and you turn back and the, the naked gun captain's gotten the shit beat out of him by the robber. It's like, yeah, it's like a, a UFC fight, but there's no referee to stop it. Stop it. Stop it. He's already dead. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Let's transition uh, to some recommendations. You've done another deep dive into the documentary feature category already this year. Uh, my condolences to your sanity, but let's talk about the AFI docs, Mike. Yeah, three recommendations uh, that are also serious contenders, I hope, for documentary feature in that Oscar. And then three honorable mentions who I wouldn't be shocked at all if they, if they contended as well. So I'm going to talk about six movies today. I saw a bunch more. And I'll be honest, I, I didn't really see a bad movie at AFI Good. Docs. I, I, That's awesome. I crammed in 11 over the weekend. I didn't do the whole festival because we were so busy at the end of Tribeca and recording and life and whatnot. So I, I kind of crammed it in to the very end of the festival. But I'm, I'm glad because I, I watched a lot of good movies. All right. Let's start with one of the uh, the big hits, something you really, really like. The Neutral Ground from The Daily Show's C.J. Hunt. Here's its plot premise. Comedy, documentary, politics. In December 2015, the New Orleans City Council voted to remove four Confederate monuments from public grounds a forceful group of critics protested the decision and fearing retaliation no crew would agree to remove the statues so tonal masterpiece i would say in terms of documentary filmmaking because this guy attacks like one of the most serious subjects in the news today and he's on the ground at some of the landmark you know battlegrounds Mm -hmm. of the conflict charlottesville etc mike and this movie is also funny when you would least expect to get a belly laugh because this is the Daily Show's C.J. Hunt, and only he's able to to make you laugh during such That's serious very cool. uh, 
commentary. So this is a B plus grade for me all day. The neutral ground is something you guys should really seek out. And yeah, it's going to handle the politics uh, with a light touch at times and with uh, some intensity when it needs to. So I was just really thrilled by by this coverage. And it, and it definitely educates you too. I, so I, I give this new, uh, documentary a lot of credit, The Neutral Ground. I don't know who hires the comedians at The Daily Show, but how they've been able to strike that tenor for like how serious the, the coverage is of the stuff that they actually do cover for 20 years now is is something incredible. So that's well, great it, to hear. That's the thing. It, you can't strike this tone with most documentaries. Mm-hmm. I've just seen it fall so right. flat so often, and this guy nails it. I mean, it felt like at times like a Conan sketch, and at other times, you know, just a hard-hitting piece of journalism. I, I'm, I'm thrilled with The Neutral Ground. All right, good to know. So we're off to a hot start. Your second recommendation after The Neutral Ground is Storm Lake. It's about the Pulitzer Prize-winning Cullen family of the Storm Lake Times in a small town in Iowa. Yeah, and Storm Lake won the Audience Award at AFI Docs for a reason because this is a a beautiful portrait of a family, a j- journalism family, and it's the father and the son and the wife and the and the, the brother-in-law who's working for free now and not even taking a salary because he's retired. And I mean, they're fighting the rise of partisan, you know, politics with just good community, you know, news, and they're winning over a hmm. predominantly Republican town with uh with their service to the community day in day out and that's it's it's amazing to watch this happen and to watch you know bridges being made uh, uh during during such a you know rough climate and then the fact that we get into the covid-19 crisis at the end and they're still making it work it's just it's something else and you got big corporate politics as well here with their Tyson pork plant that runs the town kind of thing in the county uh, this, this was just a, an absolutely fascinating study of all the mechanisms of, of running a newspaper a local newspaper during these times trying to just you know sell ads to mm. covering this story and that to covering the the caucuses the Iowa caucuses the Democratic caucuses and having all of the major presidential candidates coming through which was you know just you know, kind of the centerpiece of the film so storm lake definitely seek it out be all day i could see something like this contending a fascinating story i mean i know nothing about this movie other than just hearing you talk about it now but that's that's got to seem like something that would just inherently be cinematic if you have a newspaper who's actually trying to stay objective like that in a small town and struggling just to survive yeah, they're on the ground enough watching these guys cover these stories. So that that's the key. It's not just talking heads. Well, this is what being a local newsman's all mm. about. And this is why I look like Mark Twain <laughs> to this day. And he does. <laughs> but no, it, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a really uh, en- engaged documentary because they're following around literally every step of the way to the to their brainstorming of hey do we do a podcast hey do we do this mm. how do we get more readers how do we keep these readers and it's it's really an intensive look at uh at the at the newspaper all right and the third recommendation of yours for an oscar contending documentary feature is pray away it's another ryan murphy production that is also headed to netflix uh pray away is about the founders and public leaders of exodus a pray the gay away movement started in the 1990s oh boy so we have seen uh narrative feature films boy erased the mid- miseducation of Cameron Post. We've reviewed mm-hmm. those on this show in previous MMO weeklies and Oscar race checkpoints and, and Oscar seasons. Mike Luke, Lucas Hedges, Russell Crowe, uh, Nicole Kidman, they were Oscar candidates from Boy Erased. And now we get the deep dive into 
the lives of these public leaders, basically the fo- the voices of Exodus, this you know uh, organization, mm-hmm. and it is. You know, I grew up in the church, and you always hear the story of Apostle Paul, right? Mm-hmm. And Apostle Paul was hunting down Christians before he became a leader in that underground movement himself. And that's what this felt like to me. This is the LBGTQ plus community uh, in, in many forgiving ways, giving a, a, a microphone to all of these people who, to a person, want to be forgiven for their... Hmm how they've misguided and and how they led astray many people in that community and brainwashed them and were brainwashed themselves and their transformations. And there's also, there's also uh, portrayals of people who are still in wow. Exodus who are not reforming or not, not gone away from that. So it, it, it's an absolutely heart wrenching doc that covers it from the more of a PR side than necessarily going in depth on the ground behind the curtain kind of thing. It's not that at all. I mean, they talk about it in a kind of a similar way that the Scientology documentary talked about. Remember that one mm-hmm. that won the Oscar yeah. a couple years back? Uh, I, I I am fascinated by this because I grew up in the church and really never knew this existed. Yeah. So this is this is certainly some religious baggage for me to, to find out about this years later, even though you kind of, obviously we've been hearing stories about this right. over the last five, 10 years. So for Ryan Murphy to use his platform and to use his uh, production deal with Netflix to make a movie this influential and to hopefully get the word out to kids uh, who wound up hurting and to adults who've been, you know, just affected by this so much, Mike, over the decades. I I just, I can't believe how terrible that epidemic was uh, back, you know, shout, on, on the heels of AIDS that we never even knew about. Yeah. We never even knew about how many thousands of people Jesus. were were being forced and manipulated in this regard. And, and it, it was an epidemic in its own right. So, you know, I got... I got a lot of forgiveness in my heart for the Christian community and how, you know, they've done so much good for the world. Never mind the, the you know, all different communities in our in our in our in our country. But this was a this was an evil, and it, it's just so clear to me uh, after a documentary like this. And, and and you know, thanks to Ryan Murphy, thanks to Netflix for for covering it. And it couldn't have been easy. Could not have been easy because. Uh, they really, you know, they attacked both sides of it uh, to almost to a fault. I would say I almost wanted a more biased documentary. Huh. I so I, I give them a lot of credit, and I do think this could this could contend at the end of the day. Netflix is kind of waiting and seeing. I think in terms of their release date, I did not find one. So maybe this is going to play fall film festivals. Maybe this is going to release during Oscar time, and and it could certainly contend. Hopefully, it's a, a way to heal it's going to help with the healing with uh, some of the the victims that have been put through that awfulness but speaking about it from an oscars lens so the three documentaries you can see as academy appealing oscar contenders you have pray away storm lake and the neutral ground which of those three do you think speaks most to the academy or the documentary branch as you know it if you know it if anyone can know it (laughs) well just in terms of pure filmmaking something like storm lake seems like an american factory style documentary sure i could see that being you know at least something that has precedent but they kind of broke the mold last year with my octopus right. so i'm lost <laughs> i'm totally lost like i think that's the in my opinion 
<laughs> yeah, the last, uh, the lo- the Lost Leonardo, and now I forget the name. I think it's the Lost Leonardo, like Sony Pictures Classics. Mm-hmm. That should be a nominee for a documentary, but is it just a hit? Is it? Uh, are they going to start nominating the big hit documentaries out of the quote-unquote blockbuster docs like Val? Mm-hmm. We don't know yet. This is one of the more elusive <laughs> you know, film branches to predict, so... Yeah, that's why I, I'm I'm loving these documentary film festivals, and I got a bunch of good ones so far. I've seen over forty so from this year alone, Mike. So this is this this is a, a cool segment for me, and I got like three more recommendations, even if they're not going to contend. I don't know. I I just like these three movies here, starting with Luchadoras about Mexi- Mexican lucha libre women in wrestling. But it's more the story of these these three women's their lives, their survival from domestic violence. They're trying to make it uh, with factory jobs and who's separated from their children in America and, and the immigration God. issues there. So this is a, a st- you know stories that desperately need to be told and the physical empowerment that these women get from their wrestling lives. I I, I think you would like this one a lot. Yeah, like, it's, it sounds like uh, something that's right up my alley. Certainly with the pro wrestling slant on it. But good God, the human interest part of that is heart-wrenching well that's where you never know i mean maybe it could have an impact on, right. on our academy it's well made it's very stylistic so the style's got to land on them and that's probably where it falls a little bit mm-hmm. i would say I, I don't know if the style worked on me because like they got all these surrealistic shots mixed into obviously the, all the realism so i don't know if that works the one and only dick gregory this is about the legendary comedian civil rights activist uh health advocate later in his life this is headed to showtime so just watch this i I can't believe this guy hasn't had 10 movies made about his life uh but this he's a a comedian that's funny as hell and he's also marching with martin luther king uh every every you know month of the year back when because he basically you know brought his career to a halt to to be a civil rights advocate and got arrested a hundred times and yeah this is one of the one of those stories about a hero that we've never really heard before yeah so this is another fascinating that familiar with Uh, finally talk about a world we never knew about how about uh, the comic book world of the LBGTQ plus community in the 90s and early 2000s, Mike. So this is No Straight Lines, The Rise of Queer Comics. I never knew this story existed. I never knew how many... Like, this was a cool star- story because it was like underground artists, right? Mm-hmm. Going from these do-it-yourself zine, zines, they called through the epidemic of AIDS, et cetera, through all the, the strife of, 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 of homophobia in this country into mainstream success in the early 2000s, but how many steps they had to go as artists, as starving artists, as people trying to work two and three jobs, to all their relationships with one another as underground artists and, and comic book writers and, and, and painters, et cetera. I, I'm, again, another powerful story about civil rights, but also just a cool story about you know the uh, the artist underground which we always love in, in music documentary form right or in the filmmaking the guerrilla filmmaker story so this is a, a, a just another documentary that if you like those kind of uh movies seek this one out no straight line and there's the the best of the documentary feature branch and like the golden age of documentaries we're living in anyway is that you know all these well done movies are shining lights on these areas of little coverage quite frankly i mean i know we keep saying it's stuff that we've never heard of but we understand that you know there's a huge world of it but it's th- i don't know how many people know about the uh the lgbtq plus magazine industry or comic industry like i that's 
wild that that's out there and that people have to do that by themselves and that was an actual thing. So, yeah, awesome. It sounds sounds very appealing and sounds ripe and fertile for a documentary to shine some light on that. And that's the kind of stuff that the doc feature branch likes. They like the the human interest, the stories of unfortunately strife and struggle, which are important to tell. But as the, the more often than not you get a silver lining to some aspect of it, which is uh, makes it worthwhile and heartening and endearing and, and hopeful. And making them just crowd-pleasing docu- you know, documentary hit movies, too. That, that's huge here. The, the fact that these are all very entertaining. So I'm not just recommending these saying, hey, this is a, a cause worth fighting right, for. Right, right, right. That, 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 that's there as well. But these are... These are addicting stories, and I, I think you, you you hit it on the head. Like this is a golden age of documentaries right now, and I'm just I'm I'm glad that I can kind of dive into them in in a way. So it's it's been very enriching because it's been a weird summer, and you know the, the movie industry's just start to, starting to get back on its feet. So this is really a breath of fresh air. So again, the neutral ground, Storm Lake, and what was my third? Pray away, and then. Uh, Luchadora's the one and only Dick Gregory and No Straight Lines, The Rise of Queer Comic. I look forward to this branch of the Academy making you lose your mind in short time and finally being That's right. I have so many great movies that, that they could choose from and they won't listen to me yet again. <laughs> um, guys, as always, what is most important for us are your thoughts. Did you see anything at AFI DocFest? Uh, what are your thoughts on Can and the Adam Driver singing scenes that are out there apparently uh, <laughs> if you've seen them or if you're now looking forward to them more less I don't know tell us as well as your thoughts are anything having to do with the blockbusters that is coming out to theaters in Black Widow that we will be reviewing uh, you can leave us those or as well as comments questions or concerns about anything else we do here in the MMO Empire on our social medias we are Mike Mike and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram at MM and Oscar on Twitter Mike Mike and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit we're available everywhere you hear podcasts including and especially the Apple Podcast app and if you're listening to us there if you would be so kind to leave us a five-star review truly that would make our day and we appreciate that michael what is coming next from us and what are some words of wisdom here to end on well words of wisdom is of course seek out those docs but it's also seek out uh, our friends coverage of some of the movies that we've been uh we've been reviewing here fear street 1994 of course is a netflix movie and the nomcast andrew morgan's uh netflix original movie podcast he's doing an awesome job mm-hmm. you shouted him on on twitter he did a fun interview one of the store uh, stars of the film 1994 film jordan d natale who's also in the irishman uh and he's got some uh fun episodes that he's been pitching coming up so check out his coverage at the nomcast also check out and and check in with uh, everybody who's at Cannes who uh, has come on our show before yeah. because Scott Feinberg, Brian Formo at Fandango, Ann Thompson of IndieWire, of course, THR Scott Feinberg. Yeah, they're just fun to check in with. They're posting videos, they're posting reviews, and uh, it's it's been fun reacting to the first reactions with them, Mike. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well said by you and very true. It's, it's fun to have real festivals that are really taking place and, and real reactions and real time standing ovations real and all that stuff. Oscar contenders, we think we hope to. <laughs> Hopefully, yes. So, guys, <laughs> when reality sucks, you can come follow the festivals with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make awards season year-round without the stuffiness. We will see you very soon. See you.